You're listening to Culturally Speaking. This is Janice. And this is Neha. And we're here to talk about all things cultural. Welcome to another episode. We've got a very exciting episode because it's the first time we're having a guest. So we hope you enjoy the episode. And Janice, do you want to introduce our guest today? Yeah, so Nick is a tech consultant from Belfast who now lives in London. And I'll leave it to Nick to tell us what you're going to talk about. Yeah, hi guys. Um, so as you said, from Belfast, I uh, I, I grew up on a farm um, just outside the city, but um, lived in Belfast until I was um, 18. Then moved across to England for uni. And when I was uh, when I was approached when I was approached about this episode, I, um, I had to think. And I know a lot of people ask about. Um, what's what's northern ireland like in more general but i thought what would be interesting to talk about would be a um a specific event that happens each year um rather than trying to cover everything try and cover one specific thing and um just yeah it always surprises people what goes on in northern ireland um we are we're quite different to to the rest of england um because of our because of our history um what I wanted to talk to you guys about today is an event called the 12th of July. So first question, have either of you heard of it before? Never. Nope. No. 12th of July. So 300 years ago, there was a battle between um, the Dutch King William of Orange and the Catholic King James from England. Um, and... <laughs> You can carry on. I'm just joking on some minty. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. So, so back in back in the year 1690, there was uh, the deciding battle between the the Protestant King William of Orange, um, who was also from the Netherlands, um, and the Catholic King James from England, and it was uh, primarily a fight between protestants and catholics over uh the control of ireland um the the protestants won and obviously obviously lots of lots of things happened from the outcome of that battle but but the remnants that still last today are every year on the 12th of july and in the lead up to that date um what about 50 percent of the northern irish community celebrates it quite heavily um so have you ever have you ever seen photos of the of the marches that go down on that date or any of the any of the marching bands that go around northern ireland i don't think so have you janice i don't think so i'm i'm super unfamiliar with anything northern ireland actually you might be the only northern irish person i know um <laughs> i always find it interesting for for people who live or who grew up in england because it's the same country and it's it's such a it's such a significant part of our history and our culture still today, um, and yet over in England nobody has any idea. There sometimes they say Northern Ireland's part of the UK. I had no idea. You're like, have you looked at your passport? It does say it on there. Um, so so every year um, there are enormous marching bands, and each one is represents a different area of the Protestant community. So different different areas within Belfast and they have enormous banners and they they dress up in they all have white gloves and they all wear colored sashes and they have drums and they have pipes um and thousands of them go up and down the streets and thousands of people come out to watch and 
in essence, the entire event is a giant middle finger to the Catholic community, which I find amazing that something like that still exists. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're commemorating the victory of the Protestants over the Catholics about 300 years ago. And one of the more interesting aspects of it is um, as time has gone on in Belfast, um, where different communities live has, has shifted. But the, the Parades Commission, as it's known, because there is an official government body to cover the parades, why not? Um, they demand that they should always be allowed to use their historical marching routes. So they will march through a neighborhood where no Protestants live and haven't lived for a long time, but they used to. So therefore they should. Um, but Catholics live there instead. And obviously this is something they're not that happy with. And so um, on most years of this event, um, enormous riots break out. Uh, we've got, um, in Northern Ireland, we have special armored police Land Rovers instead of normal police cars um, because people love attacking the police um, and they love rioting. So every year you'll see these armored Land Rovers around. You'll see riot police around. You will see... Um, water cannons out um, and you will see people attacking the police, bricks, um, Molotov cocktails, what have you. It's not that shocking. And this happens. This happens every year. I'm a bit confused now. Do people get hurt? Like Yeah. Yeah. And they and they they live for it. Like they go out looking for a fight. And you'll see depending on um if it has been a recent community shift or um if uh, for example the, the marchers asked to go into a specific neighborhood and they are denied the request and um, they'll go there anyway and you will see enormous walls of the local residents there um, to prevent them going in and they will try and march in anyway and it will just break out into a fight. So the fight is between like people that are in the parade and people that are living in the areas? Yeah, anybody who's around because it's... Um, there's a very yeah. There's a very clear distinction on 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 which side you're on, and um, people people like scrapping. We we it's a it's a fond pastime of ours. Scrapping, I love that. Such a like expression that we just would never use. I love it. So in all of this that's happening on the twelfth of July, does anybody celebrate it in like a non-violent way? So that was what I was going to mention next. Um, so how big how big do you think a bonfire gets around? Um, like say Halloween or, or Guy Fox Day, how, how big's a bonfire? Maybe, you know, like five meters, six meters, maybe something like that. Is this like kind of burning man proportions, man <laughs> proportions of fire? I'm going to go, I'm going to go bigger than burning man. I'm going to go bigger than burning man. Um, imagine, I think the tallest I've seen, maybe five stories, maybe six stories. So what tends to happen is, um, you get uh, either some green space near a particular community or you get um, industrial land that is disused and people will break into. And a couple of weeks before uh, the 11th night, before the 12th with the parades, um, we slowly get enormous bonfires being built out of um, wooden pallets and tires. And these things just t pillar over everyone. They're absolutely enormous. And they have, um, obviously, it's, it's the Protestant community that, that um, build these. And the, and the other side will want to um, destroy the bonfire before the 11th night um, to, to, to ruin the hard work. So you get... Um, guards set up day and night 24 hours a day around these half constructed bonfires as well 
Um, you'll see kids hanging around there all day. They'll bring out sofas and stuff and like little marquees to protect their bonfires. And you always know when the guards haven't done their job because every so often you'll see a bonfire lit before the right night and it means that someone's broken in and set it on fire. Um, you also see on the bonfires themselves, um, the flags of um, the communities that the owners of the bonfire don't like. So you'll see Union Jacks, you'll see Irish tricolours on the bonfires. Um, one thing I find particularly interesting is that um, the, the Protestant community um, identifies with the struggle of Israel. Um, they kind of mirror what they're going through with the Israeli community and they will fly Union Jacks and they will fly um, Stars of David, but they will burn Palestinian flags. And the opposite is true on the other side. So they'll burn Union Jacks and they'll burn Stars of David. That's so interesting. I would never have made the connection between the two. Sorry, there's such a strong theme of burning things as well. There's a lot of fire going on in everything you mentioned. I think we just, uh, we like scrapping, we like burning. Does scrapping mean burning? No, no, sorry, we like scrapping. So we like fight and we like to burn stuff, just like general chaos. And and communities absolutely (laughs) compete to see who can build the biggest bonfire. Um, and if you just, just, you know, simple Google image search for Northern Irish bonfire, you will see ridiculous images. It's, it's hard to believe. And you get, um, you get the fire brigade coming around. So they're, they're generally built (laughs) quite far away from houses, but the, the, the pillar of flame tends to be so strong that it starts to like damage nearby houses. Um, so you often get the fire brigade coming and putting putting fires out early because some of these things collapse and they'll cause enormous fires across um, housing estates as well. And, and this is not like outlawed? Wait, I'm confused. How... Do you, like, in everything that Nick said, do you honestly think that like what's legal and what's not is of utmost importance because i assume there's like a disregard for authority if you're going to battle against the police and build bonfires that can cause enormous amounts of harm right uh well quite um disregard for authority is is definitely is definitely the right way to put it and are there northern irish people who live in london who try to do something similar or how you know how do you celebrate this day in london so what don't say barbecue so what's, what's interesting about um northern ireland is that and i may i may i may get shot for saying this may get in trouble but there is there is a community and a political and a religious divide but you find that the individuals and how strongly they feel some that that divide tends to be driven by social class a lot and you find that a lot of the people that move out of northern ireland um well they tend to be middle class and they tend to not care so yeah i was gonna say there's this kind of maybe you can highlight it from like your friends and family but typically if you've left northern ireland to go to normally it's university isn't it 
or sometimes school, but university typically, right, you leave and then you tend to start your working life in England. And as you say, I think there is a bit of a distinction because when I think about the the people I know in London that are Northern Irish, that is very much the mould. And as you say, they're not as hung up, I would say, about the troubles or the divisions, certainly of our generation. Maybe their parents' generation was slightly different. I think I think what's interesting is that um, so schools in Northern Ireland generally are one or the other, um, unless it has the word integrated in the name. It's generally one or the other. You know, like ninety nine point nine percent if one or the other. But and and I I went to what would be widely considered a Protestant school, but in reality the people that cared and the people that would ever bother getting into any hassle or getting involved with that was was next to none and and because you grow up around it there you obviously have jokes right i mean in in my circle of friends there was literally one one catholic kid um and you know you you take the piss out of him for that but not in a not in a real way you you everybody knows that it's part of it's a joke because nobody actually cares and then everybody moved to england and we kind of forget about it all okay makes sense what is the sorry i'm gonna ask i don't know if you actually know the answer to this, but if not we can look it up but what is the split between the catholic and the protestant community in northern ireland in terms of percentage roughly? so so um it is a cultural phenomenon that it's more likely for catholics to stay in ireland on the island of ireland and more likely for protestants to leave um after secondary education and so you get a slight leaning towards um, a Catholic majority. Okay. Yeah. And is there a, a Janice grew up in a different country in a different culture, and sometimes people move back, um, you know, into the country or the cities that they grew up in. Is there sort of that en masse movement back to Northern Ireland from people of a certain age group, you know, once they've either had families or at a, even a later stage in life? Um. Not really. I you you hear the 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 concept of a of a brain drain, but that happens. I kind of think it, it happens just because of smaller regions, but that are closely connected to big regions. So it's not it's not exclusive to to Northern Ireland that that people leave because it is there are it's a population of what, a million people. Bel- Belfast is small, um, and having lived there for 18 years, when I go back, I'm like, I, I can do a weekend, but any longer than that. And it's like, well, I've seen, I've been everywhere 10 times, you know? Um, it's, I mean, it's it's a nice place. Like it's it's fairly quiet out in the countryside and, and housing is cheap. Uh, so like retirement, maybe, but I don't think you see a, a significant um, transition back. So... Slightly off-topic questions, but still about Northern Ireland. Um, what is your actual main industry? Like, what's what's? Yeah, because I I literally don't know anything about Northern Ireland. Um, that's an interesting question. Um, honestly, it wouldn't shock me if it was. Uh, financial services, professional services. Um, there's a very, very big farming community um, as well. So it's probably probably a split between those two. 
Okay, and I guess to a topic that is very close to Neha and myself, what's a typical Northern Irish food that you would recommend everybody try? So Northern Irish people love bread and we've got a, a dozen types of bread that don't exist uh, anywhere else in the world. Um, we, it, there's, so if we were having, if we were having a fry, right? So like an English fry, but. So, so wait, one second. Yeah. Translation for all our non-Northern Irish speakers. <laughs> a fry being what? Uh, you know, a fry up. It's got eggs, bacon, sausage, okay. mushroom, tomato. But, but for us, the bread is the main, but the bread's the main draw. So we would have, um, I think the English call them scotch pancakes or dropped pancakes. So the, the, the fat, but like small ones, mm-hmm. um, we just would, that would be our, that would be our pancake. Uh, we have a thing called soda bread, which is made using buttermilk and flour and has a kind of sour taste and it's very floury. Um, we have wheat and bread, which is that, but made with whole wheat. Uh, we've got, um, Vida bread, which is, um, a kind of, I think it's rye bread, but it's extremely dark um, and very, very flavorful. Uh, we've got potato bread, which I don't know how you make it, um, but they're kind of like little little rectangles of this flour and potato mix. And they've got this strange kind of potatoy skin around them. So you fry everything and you eat it with the, the meat and eggs that come with a normal fry. So one second, with my fry up, I get pancakes and five different types of bread so i mean obviously obviously we, we we don't go overboard but if you were if you were feeling particularly gluttonous you could have you could have um pancakes toast soda bread wheat and bread uh vita less so but you know it happens that sounds like a ideal cheat day meal i've been carb heaven yeah carb loading for sure Okay. I feel like we need to... Is there anywhere in London where we can have these things? Apart from your home. You know, I've, I've, I've searched. I know that Tesco sometimes does wheat and bread and sometimes does soda bread, but they're hard to find. Um, I don't actually know of any Northern Irish, like, cafes around London. Right. And it makes me sad. I... My my girlfriend and I tried to make soda bread um, on the weekend, and it's just not the same. We just haven't got the equipment for it. Yeah, I found that. So you know, being Chinese myself, I do try to cook a lot of um, the more traditional home cooking um, here. But even if you had the, you know, you know, I can do the exact same thing. But you know, perhaps you know the pigs were reared differently or something just because the ingredients aren't actually from the same place. It just never comes out the same. I agree. It, it's the provenance of your ingredients that make it. Yeah. You can have the same methods and the same techniques, but if the ingredients are not right, it just ne- something tastes off. I think I think where you're eating it as well makes all the difference. Yeah. If, I, if I'm having like a if I'm having like a typical Irish stew, if I'm having it in a restaurant in London, it doesn't it doesn't have like the, the same emotional effect on me. If I'm having it in, uh, you know, by the coast in Northern Ireland, I can see I can see the waves and um, I feel like I'm at home. It's going to be a very a very different experience eating the same food. Yeah, I, I would agree. 
I mean, Neha and I, we had a, an episode earlier talking about Chinese New Year, and then we had, um, you know, we talked about just, for example, in Indian culture as well, you have quite specific foods for specific circumstances. And I think, you know, cuisine is half ingredient, but half emotion, really, an experience. So, yeah. It's a memory, I think, as well, of when you remember that you ate mm. something and who you were with and where you were, and it brings it back to you. So I guess to close this off then, um, can you teach us to say something? Well, so I, I think what's, um, and if anybody who's listening is Northern Irish, they'll have heard me do this already, and I'm ashamed. Um, the Northern Irish accent has a particular noise that we that doesn't exist in English like British English and I've I've ex- I've seen that it's uh, it's quite hard for English people to make the noise so if I say the word sound the 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 vowels in there will sound very different to the way you guys would say it so mm-hmm. just try try that first of all so say uh sound this is gonna be so bad I think I'm just gonna cut this out sorry <laughs> let's just do it anyway so wait say that you guys would say you guys would say sound and your mouth gets wider when you sound but i say i say sound and my mouth gets longer (laughs) actually okay we'll cut we'll probably cut this part but what i actually meant was like you know like a traditional oh yeah language i was gonna Oh, well, this is the first step, though. This is well. This is hold on. This is a whole. This is a whole thing because I I do not know any Irish, and um, you know the the people from Protestant communities do not know any Irish and choose not to learn any Irish. Um, Ulster Scots is a dialect technically, but if you were if we were really honest about it, if we were really honest, Ulster Scots is just a really strong Northern Irish accent. I, there are there was a movement recently so there was an irish language act where it was a requirement for certain government signs to have english and irish so so the protestant community went well that's not fair we want our language as well even though it's not technically a language so now you see in government buildings in northern ireland you get english then irish then english with a northern irish accent on it um so like cafeteria is eaton hall like eating hall <laughs> But for for a traditional for a traditional Northern Irish greeting, um, I'll I'll teach you to say how are you, but the way we say it, okay? Okay. So we say we say about ye. What? <laughs> what I I'm I'm actually saying how about you, which means how are you doing? But I'm saying it how we say it, which is about ye. And how do you about say ye? goodbye? Uh, no, well, you don't. <laughs> well we just kind of i mean i think it's quite a british thing you know you stand up and you say right and then leave we don't there's no (laughs) there's no specific there's no specific um goodbye okay i feel like this might be a whole other episode on its own you know talking about how languages are just so different and i think it's safe to say in this episode Neha and I have both failed to learn to speak Northern Irish. <laughs> That's all right. It's a long journey. There's so much. There's so much ridiculous slang I could teach you. What's your favourite slang expression to end? 
Oh, okay. Okay. So I'll, I'll say it and I just, just give me your first thought about what it means. Okay. So if I said I'm going for a BAP chap, what could that mean? Going for a BAP chap. Going for a what, sorry? BAP chap. BAP chap. The only thing I can think is like a chip butty, but yeah. inverted, and I don't know why my mind is going. So, okay, I'll start the second half of it. Chap is just a Northern Irish way of saying chop. So a, a, a chop, to chop. And bap is a slang word for head. So it means haircut. Okay, I would not have guessed that. I was going along with food as well, but I might just be thinking about food all the time. It is nearly lunchtime, so that is why our minds are constantly on food. <laughs> oh, no, thank you very much, Nick. Oh, you're very welcome. We thoroughly enjoyed it, and we certainly learned something new. You've been listening to Culturally Speaking with music by Kevin McLeod. Please rate and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're on. Get in touch with us on Instagram at Culturally Speaking Podcast or by email. You'll find all the details in our show notes. Tune in next week for more culture. Until then, stay cultured.